0: See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Now entering Nerdist.com. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? Welcome to the podcast.
1: Glad to be here. Thanks it for having me.
0: fantastic you. to have you on. Great. I uh, followed your AMA uh, a few yes. days ago.
1: Yeah, I just got into weird trouble for it because I, I had an interview. It was, it's kind of long and complicated. I don't want to take it all... No,
0: long. we have time. But, what what but, is it?
1: But I, I just... It was, I have a show in San Diego, or near San Diego, in Encinitas this weekend with my two, two different live shows and two different feature films... And uh, <clears throat> there, I have a very specific writer that I send out to... I don't have a publicist. I mean, there's a publicist here that's working yeah. for the film yeah. that uh, I'm also promoting that I'm in, the, the, called The Bagman. But I, um, I don't normally have a publicist as a... This is hired by the, yeah, of the course. company. So I have a, a specific way of getting around it because my show, I book my shows myself. I have an agent... For my films as a film actor, sure. But I, I don't have an agent that books my live shows and tour around with my films because it's a very specific venue. I have to be in a thirty-five millimeter cinema that also has a stage, essentially. If it was oh 19, right, if it was nineteen forty-five or nineteen forty <laughs> or thirty, you know, the vaudeville circuit, there would be agents that would be able to book what I'm doing, kind of. Yeah, but they would. But now there is no such thing. It's just there are comedians that get booked into live houses, mm-hmm. but mine isn't just a live house. It's a thirty-five millimeter cinema, so uh, <clears throat> I have all of these specifics of how I do um, uh, interviews, and I I, uh, I do a lot of interviews actually, uh, way more than most people, and I ha- I on Reddit. I Maybe it was the first time I ever publicly put it. I put that I have a 1,700-page Word document, which is true, actually. And that's actually, I, I even lost, uh, last year I lost my computer, and I lost probably about 400 pages of that, maybe 300, I don't know. It, it, not that it matters that much. But, I mean, to be fair, probably 1,000... You know, 300 of those pages or 400 of those pages are repeats of something that I'll say. Like, I'll say it right now just because I know we'll get to it. And what is it? My first film, most of the actors in the film have Down syndrome, but it's not a, about Down syndrome. What it really is is my psychological... Uh, reaction to the corporate constraints that have happened in the last 30 years of filmmaking or so, wherein anything that can possibly make an audience member uncomfortable is necessarily excised, or that film will not be corporately funded or distributed. Uh, I think it's a very damaging thing when that happens, because it's that moment when an audience member sits back in their chair, looks up at the screen, thinks to themselves, is this right what I'm watching? Is this wrong what I'm watching? Should I be here? Should the filmmaker have done this? what is it? And that's the title of the first film. What is it that's taboo <laughs> in the culture? And what does it mean when the taboo has been ubiquitously excised? I think this is a very damaging thing because it's that moment when people are genuinely asking questions, there's a real, real thoughts are occurring. Uh, and the, the meaning of the word education etymologically is to learn from within. So when people are truly asking questions, that is genuine education. And to ubiquitously excise Our genuine education in our corporately funded and distributed film media is an extremely damaging thing. Uh, Now, I I said that I don't know how many times. I mean, I I mean, I mean it too. It's not. It's not something that I'm just like. No, but you've had to answer that question a lot because I. It's my my soundbite essentially for that that movie. And I also have essentially the exact same thing written. And I have a number of other things in those 1,700 pages (laughs) that are written. And so when I'm doing my tour, sometimes I'm genuinely slammed. Like I'll have three interviews in a single day just because maybe one venue uh, has somebody that's late. Like Mm -hmm. this just happened in Canada. I had a a venue and the guy didn't get it until like the day before and I was on a train going up to Canada. My, My lines were in and out. I had to do a whole bunch of interviews in a row. I did that one and then two other interviews and I cut and paste from these things. I don't try to hide it but apparently the the interviewer had requested a voice interview, which I grant. There are certain publications that absolutely it's mandatory that they have a voice interview, and I'm glad to give it to those because those are, you know, skilled interviewers. As you know, it's a a skill, and and there are good people that get you to say different interesting things than you would normally do, and I'm all for doing them. But realistically, many of the journalists, they're on a deadline. They have three things. They don't really care about my show and film, and they're very happy to at this cut and paste that they can yeah. just put it, edit, edit, edit and put into their 300-word page thing. Yeah. But this, this journalist got really mad and then she like posted this like negative thing that I'd snubbed her, which I hadn't. It was because, and it sounds crazy, but it's like, I have a very specified writer because of this very thing. And I say in the writer that everything should go to publicity at com. And I was in the middle of the junket for, for uh, The Bagman last week. And I, I, I really was slammed. And I was looking to to see, I probably looked in publicity at CrispinGlover.com. I might have gotten the thing. The guy sent it to me at booking at CrispinGlover.com. So
0: there was a there were <laughs> a mix up.
1: Yeah. And and so but she, she like wrote this mean thing about me in the paper. So I don't know. Well Anyways. the problem
0: is that that I think that most people always because I, I get that happen I get that happens to me. More than not than no times, it's actually sure. happens quite a bit where people where you do something and people assume the right. worst about you as right. to why it happened. Well, you right. were a dick, or you fucked right. this up. It's like, <laughs> yes. no, I just I'm <laughs> sorry. There was, and then right. you explain, and they go, oh, okay. It's like, yeah, yeah but you already shut. But, all but right she, now. but
1: she, exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that and that's what I was asking was, please change it. Like, it's on the web now; you can change
0: these, or at things. least ask the question. You know, why did this happen? As opposed right. to, well, you did this because you're a dick. No, right. I didn't.
1: I wasn't. I was trying. <laughs> But but, yeah, but then even when I was going about it, she was saying, yeah, but this, you, you yeah, didn't, you yeah. didn't,
0: anyhow. Yeah. Well, there's okay. not, at a, at a certain point, you can, you, I guess, you know, what you can do is just go, fine, I'm a dick. What do you want? I right, right, right. I, right, I, I don't right. know. I, sorry, mean, I mean,
1: I, I'm not trying to, to, to hide that. I, do. I, th- I, I actually give much better answers on some level for a written interview when – like Well, she'd asked me a very specific question about how my books are... In fact, I have some here. Thanks. Even though nobody can see it, I'll show you guys... These, these are the books that oh, nice. I... Uh, and you can have them, too. I
0: used to and have that thank I, you so one. much. One, I lost that one in a
1: move. Oh, you had one? Move, yeah. Oh, thank you. I appreciate inspection.
0: Yeah. yeah. Concrete I Inspection. Yeah, Concrete Inspection. Like, I lost a box of stuff, and two of the things in there were this and your CD. Oh, good. Yeah. I appreciate
1: it. You were talking about rat catching, and this is uh, Oakmont. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, you can have those. These are awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm proud of these. And these are what the, what the live show that I perform... I have two different live shows that I perform before the two different feature films, which are, I'll be... At the the La Palma the Las Palmas Theater? It's on CrispinGlover.com okay. Friday and Saturday. And I perform a one hour uh, live dramatic narration of these uh, eight different books. And then I have uh, the feature film. These are two there's two different live shows, there's two different feature films, then I have a one and a half hour uh, Drama uh, um, question and answer period, and then I have a book signing, t- and I stay till the last person is there to have their book signed. So you have my- two,
0: <clears throat> you have two somewhat connected but essentially separate things. You are you you are an actor for hire sometimes. That's and correct. Most of the time, you're creating uh, films, books, music. I mean, basically just which we can get into a little bit sure. more. But what do you? What's wh- where do you go mentally to go? Okay, today I'm just being hired to say someone else's words, and this is their well, vision, and I, I, I so That's
1: another to it. thing I see written about me. Where the word "just" yeah. is used where they say Crispin just acted in Charlie's Angels, for example, to fill, uh, pr- uh, fund everything is fine. I've seen that written many times because I've publicly let it be known that I did use the money that I. Uh, made from the first Charlie's Angels film to fund the second film, It Is Fine, Everything Is Fine, which I might as well, now that I mention that, I'll tell what that's about. One sure. of the One of the actors in Everything Is Fine, um, named Stephen C. Stewart, <clears throat> had been born, and he's, he's the writer and the main actor of It Is Fine, Everything Is Fine, and he was born with a severe case of cerebral palsy, and he was Difficult to understand his speech. And when he, his mother died in his early 20s, he was put into a nursing home uh, where he really did not want to be. And the people that were taking care of him there would derisively call him an R- MR, a mental retard which is not a nice thing to say to anybody, but Steve was of normal intelligence and the emotional turmoil he must have gone through for the decade he was in that nursing home I can't even begin to imagine. But when he got out, he wrote this screenplay in the style of a 1970s TV murder mystery movie of the week wherein he's the bad guy. And this was something that was very important to Steve. He talked about it. If you think about it, in a corporately funded or distributed film, if there's a... a A character that has a disability, basically that character will be a a benefactor to society. And of course, there's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of people with disabilities that are benefactors to society. But Steve's point was that he was a person with a disability, emphasis on a person, and people can have dark thoughts and he wanted to play a guy with dark thoughts and he does and there's something about the fact that he wrote it in this genre style as opposed to a standard autobiography there's certain truths that come out in a a dynamic a counterpoint to this this genre that is just uh, really beautiful there's an emotional catharsis that happens that I'm very proud of when the whole trilogy is done this film will be the best film in the whole trilogy but not only that I feel like it'll be the best film I'll have uh, anything to do with in my whole career. I, I feel very strongly about the movie. Sh- people often ask, because I, I, when I play two nights in a row, like I will this weekend in uh, Encinitas, I play Everything is Fine first, even though it's part two of the trilogy. The, the films are thematically related. I shot What Is It first, but for a lot of different reasons, I show everything is fine first, and people don't have to worry about it. They don't have to see what is it first. Come and see everything is fine first, and it'll be okay. And I perform Crispin Hellion Glover's Big Slideshow Part 2 with that one, which is first, so it doesn't matter. There are eight different books. You don't. It's not part. So, it's not something you won't get make sense out of. So
0: what gets activated for you with these... Because the presentation of these films sound different in this... Or at least they sound different to me. Maybe I'm wrong. But, in the, but so for what is it... <laughs> Just this idea of like, well, you're trying to make people ask questions and, and, and make them face how they feel about certain things. And it sounds like the second film is I really want to sort of tell this guy's meta story by yeah. allowing him to explore this thing. So, what is it that you, what are you trying to do with these films?
1: Well, specifically, like I, I kind of said in that, that sound bite, <clears throat> I mean, when I started making What Is It, it was a short film, and there was. I was just some act, reacting to something emotionally. Uh, but I've, I've deduced, self-analyzed what what it is. I mean, I was aware of it as I expanded from a short film into a feature film. Uh, specifically, what, what happened was... Oh, it's such a long story, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to condense it. You don't have to. Well, I want to talk about a lot of things. We'll, so, we'll but, get to it. We have time. We have but, time. But the... Um, what is it? it was originally going to be a short film to promote a different feature film screenplay, which I came in and started to rewrite because two young writers wanted me to act in a film I said I would be, and they approached my agents with a monetary offer uh, I, it was this was '96, and around that time, I decided the first, next first time corporately funded filmmaker that I worked with it should be me. I was under the impression they have, had money because they made a monetary offer. Sure. So I read the script, but. They actually didn't have money, which, anyhow, it was okay. I, <laughs> I, there were interesting things about their screenplay, and I said to them, I would be interested in acting it if I could rework some of the concepts and direct it. There was a problem in the screenplay that was solved, from my point of view, of how to solve it. I had already been writing a lot of screenplays, and some of them had elements with actors utilizing actors with down syndrome where they'd play a character that had down syndrome or sometimes they wouldn't in this particular case i saw oh this will solve this particular problem in this screenplay so i said to them if i could rework it and and make it so that majority of the characters were to be played by actors with down syndrome then uh, I'd like to do this, and they were okay with that. I set about to rewriting the screenplay, and then David Lynch agreed to executive produce it for me, which was a great thing for him to do. He's a great, a great person. I'm yeah. really uh, grateful to him for that. So, uh, but what, you know, executive production can mean somebody has a lot of money, or it can mean there's somebody like David Lynch who it's going to attract money to your project. So I went into one of the larger corporate. Interest in companies here in Los Angeles that, um, you know, uh, funds so-called independent film, and um, they were interested. And uh, I had a number of uh, name. Actors that were interested in David Lynch, of course, is an executive producer. But after a number of meetings and conversations, they let me know that they were concerned about funding a film where a majority of the characters were to be played by actors with Down syndrome. So it was decided that I should write a short screenplay that would be a short film to promote this as a viable idea. I wrote a 20 something page screenplay called What Is It? And then I, <clears throat> we shot that in four days. And what I wrote originally was that all of the characters are to be played by actors with Down syndrome. Uh, I edited that together on Adobe Premiere. At that time, nobody was editing <laughs> long-term. I, I remember being on technical support with Adobe Premiere. It was... QuickTime still would go out of sync at, like, 1.5 minutes. And uh, it was a big deal when it finally sunk a, 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 a long time. But I was, like, on the technical support phone when it was still, like, a lot of money to be... Oh, yeah. <laughs> ...long distance, saying, saying I'm, uh, you know, trying to make a long-form... A movie with this technology, and they said, "Oh yeah, there's somebody else in Idaho who's doing that." <laughs> it was not normal at that time to be doing that. By the time I finished, I had a terrible technical problem with SMPTE time timecode that cost literally five years. But anyhow, oh, that's man. that's a long long uh, part of it. Uh, so I edited this together in six months. the The short film came together at uh, eighty four minutes. The current film is seventy two minutes. So it was longer than what I had, and I have. Uh, eight more days of shooting I ended up doing after that. But I I realized with more work I could turn it into a feature film. But more importantly, I realized that what the corporate entity was concerned about was not the viability of having a majority of the characters played by actors with Down syndrome, but it was the concept... Of having a majority of the characters played by actors with Down syndrome, wherein those characters do not necessarily have Down syndrome. Now, now that seems like not a big deal. I wasn't thinking of it as a big deal, but corporate interests can get concerned about maybe somebody asking a question like, why are you doing this? <laughs> are you <laughs> are, are, are you making fun of these people? Yeah. Are you taking advantage of these people? Which, no, I would, I would hate that. That's a, I have no interest in making fun of anybody with any kind of disability. It's just not my sense of humor in the least. Uh, so I, I, uh, it wasn't on my mind. But I realized, but even more than that, what they're concerned about, and this starts to get political And some people would say it's paranoid, but just because I'm paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get me. (laughs) (laughs) But the, the, the fact of it is, is corporations at this point in time, solidly with forethought knowledge, do not want an informed and thoughtful populace. The reason is, is because corporations are here to uh, because their the money is given to by this so called dem- democratic society in the, originally democ- in, it, when, in, when corporations were first allowed to happen in the United States, I could be wrong about the term, but I believe it was called a locked stock company, and the lock stock companies had to get permission from the government to exist, and there was a time limit on how long they Um, had to accomplish what their writ was, what they were supposed to do. Once they accomplished that thing, the corporation was dismissed because it was understood that a corporation, if it had increasing power, could start doing negative things. Well, corporations made money. I'm sure they were able to bribe people. And the laws got changed. And it got changed so that corporations became legally people, which of course is very strange. Then just in the last few years, the Supreme Court made a decision that um, money is a form of speech. And therefore, people, corporations, have the right to speak slash put money into the ears slash pockets of politicians. It's legalized bribery. That is the way things work in all of our politics right now. It's totally corrupt. It has to be stopped. And I'm very happy because, see, I I, I kind of got off track. But what is it was ultimately reacting to that. What is it? I realize that corporations do not want people to ask questions because if people ask questions, Though and are informed and thoughtful they'll put them out of business which is what needs to happen <laughs> i don't mean that a whole 100% what needs to happen is that human beings need to be put first and corporations need it needs to be understood that they're only there to serve people and that if they're not serving people and they're doing damage to people which they are right now they need to be shut down they need to be heavily regulated and that's not happening because of the legalized bribery but i i don't care about any of this in a certain way because i'm not i hate to Actors that go out and be political. But while I'm on the subject, there is a, uh, a site called uh, wolf-pac.org about where you sign up for uh, getting this amendment passed. I'm totally behind it. It does need to happen, and I think it will. It, strangely, and this is a corporate newspaper, the New York Times just came out with an article saying that this is so, that the the, the uh, legalized bribery is a real situation that needs to be dealt with, which is great, because it is. I, I can't believe anybody would argue this unless they're uh, you know, a politician who's getting their their you know campaign paid for by the corporation that, or the corporation that wants the law change. Those are the only two people, only people that are going to argue against it. Everybody else knows that that is not good to be happening in a so-called democracy. Anyhow. What I was reacting to, I don't don't like to be political. I want to be artistic. That's what my my interest is. That's what my, luckily and happily, my job essentially is. So I was reacting to this because I realized way back in 96 that corporations do not want questions to be asked. And if you have something that could make people uncomfortable, that people could go, well, why are you doing this? That starts to form thoughts. So I realized this as I was changing what is it into a feature film, that I needed to put this into the tapestry of what the movie was, meaning taboo. Another word for it is taboo. And so if taboo is the tapestry of the film, because there is no, you will not find corporately funded and distributed films that deal with taboo in any way, shape or form, because I am quite certain of what I'm talking about. This is a controlled element and 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 i i I'm, now i'm on this political round but i <laughs> i talk about this at my shows with what is it but uh <clears throat> if anybody gets anything out of this <clears throat> maybe the most important thing is a uh um a book that was written way back in 1928 by a man named Edward Bernays. Edward Bernays was a um, was the uh, the nephew of Sigmund Freud. The reason Sigmund Freud was bought into the United States was because his 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 nephew Edward Bernays understood that his uncle's understanding of the human subconscious would be able to be utilized for corporate interests in media. Um, up uh, politics and, or government and academia in order to control the underclass so that the uh, the corporations essentially would be able to get what they want to get across. I'll read, and he's the literal father of the public relations industry. When you hear the word public relations just understand that it was a synonym that was introduced by Edward Bernice to replace the word propaganda. They're the same word. Oh, and he was trying, what's amazing about this book, I'll read you the two of opening sentences of it. It was written in nineteen twenty eight. Uh, this is not an expose like or, or fiction. Like nineteen eighty four is what people classically think of when they hear the word propaganda, which is great it's a great book it's a great work of fiction and i think george orwell inverted 84 with 48 and he was making a commentary on how people were in britain at the time just after world war Two. Uh, and it's a great book but what's amazing about this book propaganda so people wait, so people think about that and then they think about um like nazi germany or they think about um communist russia as to what is uh, how propaganda is used, which is usually a of Or North Korea now. Or, you know, I mean, there's a billion examples. Well, including the United States, sure. there is, in fact, there's no exception. There's no <laughs> yeah. exception of any form of government that will, won't will use propaganda. That's what should be the foregone conclusion. But somehow, because the propaganda is so well done and so well disguised in the United States, people think, no, no, we don't have propaganda. Of course there's propaganda in the U.S., but it's a far more uh, insidious, unfortunately, than people realize, and it's far Uh, more infused into the society. And of course, propaganda works. And then it gets into people's heads and they don't even realize they're propagandized. The best propagandists are the ones that think what they're doing is right. But but here's the first two sentences of propaganda by Edward Bernays from 1928. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. What's amazing about this is that it's not—it's not an expose; it's an instruction manual. He's—he's he's saying this as a positive element that propaganda is what will help control. Here's all you got to do. Yeah, exactly. And, and you, if you read it, it's an easy book. It's, it's like a cookbook. Yeah. it's like 150 <laughs> pages. It's, if everybody in the United States read it in in junior in high school. Then you you wouldn't be able to utilize the propaganda in the way that it's utilized. But but it's um, so. I mean, this is something I've been talking about a a, a lot lately. I've been very happy to see since that Occupy movement started, uh, which you know that's a complicated movement. But what I got from it that was positive was also what I see the New York Times finally has come out and said is this element of. uh, of uh, <clears throat> corporate interests using uh, uh, legalized bribery for their own interests to the negative uh, element of uh, the culture and society as a whole. And that has to be reacted to. But I, I knew this way back in 96. I had a very specific incident that happened when I was in Back to, back to the Future where I asked about the moral uh, element in the, in the outcome of the... Uh, how the film ended because I had not been given the script before I agreed to do the film. Not I was, you know, twenty years old. I didn't. What was the moral question?
0: Money makes everything better.
1: Well, so, well exactly. You've heard you've heard me talk about it. It's something that I, I I've started becoming vocal about very specifically, I wouldn't have talked about it, but there's this producer on the film named Bob Gale. Oh yeah, I
0: read about the AMA thing. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah, And he's lied about me. He he said to, he's, and he's, and so there are millions of people that believe this guy who's, who's one, I had a lawsuit about this thing. You know, they put a false nose, chin and cheekbones onto another actor from the original molds of my face Uh, that were used to make the old age age makeup for the
0: first film. And they flipped them upside down.
1: Well, they did all kinds of things to obfuscate him. And then they took images, just very brief images of my close-ups of my face and interspaced it with this other actor to make uh, people uh, fool audiences into believing that I was in the film. Because of my lawsuit, there are no... There are now rules in the Screen Actors Guild that make it so producers and directors can no longer do that kind of thing, which I'm proud of. But, you know, you don't ever really win something like that. There was a negative aspect that happened. And they have, I, I'm very essentially obsessed with propaganda, but because I can see he he utilized propagandic propagandistic uh, rules to be, you know, damaging toward me. Sure. He, they, he has this huge platform on these Blu-rays. It's only recently that he starts, I think, I didn't really listen to them earlier, but I believe he only started saying that I was asking for the same salary as Michael J. Fox, and that's why I'm not in Back to the Future. He's doing this to obfuscate that what they did was illegal. I didn't ask for the same uh, salary is Michael J. Fox. Michael J. Fox never came up in the negotiations for a second. Uh, but so, um, but he's usual utilizing the element of you just put out a big lie and then everybody believes it. And now I'm in the position where I've got to either just go – just sit there and say, well, yeah, the lie is true or I've got to react. So I've got to let it be known. Well,
0: especially at that time, there was not – I mean there was no internet – so it's not like you could just say exactly. Here is my story. Yeah. You just you know I am sure with whatever it was, no matter what happened, well, people would, go ah, the guy's a crazy actor. He doesn't know anything. Exactly. Yeah. I would
1: have had to hire. I would have had to hire a, a propagandist. Well, a, or a publicist. <laughs> whatever you exactly. They're all the, It's all the same word. I mean, obviously, propaganda has a negative connotation. Sure. Publicist is a specific job. I mean, it, it, I mean, you can call, you can say what I am saying is propaganda. Propaganda does not necessarily have to have a negative connotation, and it didn't before. Before uh, World War One, that's why um, Edward Bernays wrote the book in 1928. Was because uh, World War One in the U.S. They were saying that that Germans, the Huns, were throwing babies into fires to get to get people in the United States wanting to have a, a war. A war in World War One that wasn't happening. No. Uh, I think Eric von Sternheim played a character, and he was great. He, he 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 was a great actor, and it's a lot of fun to. He was the man you love to hate, and he threw some baby, and he was playing like this world... World War One German Hun that was a bad guy. Well, I mean, it's it's it's
0: you know, and also because it's attached to a film that's one of the most beloved properties in our culture. That you know, it's like cause Tom Wilson's a really good friend of ours, and yeah, Tom, he's a Tom, good, great fellow. Tom Tom, Tom was on uh, Tom was on the podcast a couple years ago, and he, he wouldn't he was never really comfortable talking about his experience in Back to the Future I, I
1: recently talked to him. That's bec- what he said. He said you yeah, guys had a really great I, phone conversation. I, we did. I, I, we, he and I need to get together and do our own something because we there are specific things, and I shouldn't talk about it because it's his thing, sure. but I noticed that he wasn't a part of this reunion, and I thought, I, I know something's going on. So I, I, I talked to him, and uh, he and I need to, to, to do something because the thing is what for me was very eye opening about that experience in 1984 and I haven't gotten specifically to what it is I have started talking about it but I had I had not been given the screenplay beforehand and uh, which was fine with me I was You know, twenty years old. It was a big Universal Studios, Steven Spielberg movie. Great. You know, they wanted me for what looked like an interesting part. When I read for it, I only read for the one scene. That was the only thing that I had was the one scene that uh, takes place in the nineteen fifties, and. I didn't even know that I was going to play the older parts. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's like a, what they call a screen test, which is up on YouTube. It isn't. It's a makeup test that was done after. Uh, it's an old-age makeup test that was done after I was already hired to do the film. But, you know, so I my agent was the one that told me I'd be playing these older characters when I got the offer. I thought, wow, this is amazing. Yes, let's close this deal. Great. So I read the screenplay when i after i closed the deal and it wasn't like i read the screenplay and thought this is terrible no i read the screenplay and thought this is an amazing part this is great but but i was a, you know i trained from professionally from acting from 15 till 20 my father's an acting teacher i never formally studied with act, with him as an actor but Bruce Clever Bruce Clever he yep. was in my I'm showing ten minutes of a film that I started shooting last year, October. For the first time, he and I've ever acted together oh, in a wow. film. So that's something I'm showing ten minutes of uh, contiguous edited uh, material. It's something I shot on thirty. My first film that was shot on thirty-five millimeter negative. Uh, my first two films were shot on sixteen millimeter negative with a digital intermediate, and then now I travel with the two thirty-five millimeter prints of the films. In any case, um, where you had been was
0: training. I? You had been training since you were fifteen, and you had right. read the script. So and you thought oh, right, it was a so
1: fire. I was, you know, I was serious about my acting. And um, part of what you do is you figure out the psychology of the character. You want to get to the truth of the character. And at the end of the screenplay, there's more to it that I, I won't go into here. But um, there was something that I asked a question about, which did get changed. Uh, but there was another thing that was related to that thing that got changed, which was that the characters had money when they 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 came back to this alternate future and i It had come from what the other part of uh, my questioning was, but I re- retained that there was still this element that if there is money given. It, it's, I see people have reacted to it, and they say, "Oh, well, what's wrong with getting money?" There's nothing wrong with getting money, and I mean, I mean, you could make an argument that money is a weird thing in society. Yes, you can make that argument, but let's just say this is this society so, okay, it's understandable how we regard what what money is. But but uh, but what I was arguing was that the message, putting the message out with it being a reward is a bad message. Basically, that money equals happiness. What I was arguing was that if we were, you know, they wanted me to wearing, be wearing certain clothes and I think they even made commentary on one of the, the DVDs where they said, I was just upset about my hair or my clothes. What I, you know, kind of denigrated me because there'd been a lawsuit, which is what they've essentially continued to do ever since that. But, but uh, no, I wasn't upset about that. I was upset about what the content was. And I, so I didn't want to get fired. They had just hired, fired another actor. Eric Stoltz was fired from the Michael J. Fox part, the part Michael J. Fox played. Uh, ended up playing. And uh, we we had just shot the scene, which I had this question about, right before Eric Stoltz was fired. So it was made pretty clear to me that this was essentially my test. (laughs) Like, I felt like I was next. I mean, they didn't say it that way, but they had just fired somebody else. So, you know, I just we had shot it in a slightly different way previously and then when we reshot it with Michael J Fox playing the part it was you know made very clear they wanted me in this kind of clothing and i go into a lot more detail about it in in, in other ways but uh, <clears throat> this is what it stems from me not being in the sequels and what this lawsuit ended up being about. I mean, there's more complexity sure. to it, but it's just like uh, I don't even know how we got onto that. Well, I think <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah.
0: What you know, the thing that's interesting to me about it is I maybe maybe twenty year old actors are different now, but I can't imagine a twenty year old actor in it's today's because, world going. You're right. Are you sure this is you, the moral yeah,
1: center? Yeah, but you, of know what we're you know why? You know why is because. I was 16 in 1980 and this is why propaganda works. When I was 16 and I was learning how to act, I started I had, and I learned how to drive. I started going to all of the revival theaters that were popular in Los Angeles. Uh, and so the movies of course they were showing were movies from the 1970s and the 1960s. And if you think about those decades, I mean they were showing films from the 20s and 30s, but essentially the people that were were programming these venues were of that era when people were questioning things. And this is what I thought was happening in the film world. This is, I was excited about this as a young actor. I was thinking, this is great. I'm going to be part of this industry which questions things that should be questioned. <laughs> and then I'm starting to look around as an actor and that very specific incident happened to me. And I questioned thinking... I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal, but those people—they got mad. I mean,
0: really mad. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, the, the the juxtaposition. Well, the your the brain that you had going into the corporate-iest yeah, <laughs> machine. That's right. It's a really interesting idea that you even and and how do you how do you even reconcile or how were you able to reconcile? Well, wor- working after that because period? because
1: bec- well, first uh, after Back to the Future came out. Uh, the f- I and and it made so much money. I did feel a, a an obligation towards finding characters or screenplays specifically that did somehow psychologically ref- reflect what my interests were. The are the 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 first film that I acted in after Back to the Future came out was uh, River's Edge, mm-hmm. which is a film I'm I'm very proud of. Still, um, subsequent to that, in the eighties and nineties. I mean, I still tried to find directors or characters or something that would have something questioning or interesting, but most of the films that I acted in did not necessarily specifically reflect what my psychological interests were. They did not necessarily make that much money, and that was not necessarily that good for my acting career. I don't regret the time because essentially this persona that I still have with me to this day uh, approximately... Uh, was etched out, and I'm basically comfortable with that. But um, So I don't regret it, but but then what happened was, in 1999, I shot with Steve, I told Steve and C. Stewart, the guy who wrote Everything is Fine, that we were going to write him into what is it when I expanded into a feature and I put myself in as an antagonistic element within it. I replaced the original antagonistic structure. I kept the protagonistic structure from the short film basically the same and then expanded it. So Steve was written into Everything is Fine. We shot with him in 96 and uh, cerebral palsy is not a degenerative disease but in 1999, he was getting older. He was 62 by the time we shot, and which was shot in 2000 and 2001. But in 99, one of his lungs collapsed because he was starting to choke on his own saliva and uh, he got pneumonia. And that happened. So it became apparent if we didn't shoot something soon, we may never get to shoot anything at all. And with um, it was right around the time that the first Charlie's Angels film was coming to me. Three years before, I would have just... Said no to that script. I I did read the script, um, and even with this pressure, when I looked at it, if you've seen the the character I play in it, I don't say anything. I'm a I'm a silent character. And but the original script that I read, the character had a lot of dialogue, and the dialogue was extremely expositional. It was it, which is not necessary. And I wasn't going to go in, but they kept calling my agent. They said they wanted to know what I. Um, uh, thought about it, so I did go in, and they asked what my ideas were, and I said I thought, whether I played it or not, the character should just be a silent, fighting, antagonistic character. And the director, McGee, who can be very enthusiastic, stood up and said, that's great, that's exactly what we're going to do, that's how we're going to do it, that's fantastic. And then they showed me the Yun family, the Chinese team, that were going to be choreographing the wire work and, and uh, uh, martial arts and I had known their, their, their work and that they, they're, those guys are great and those guys genuinely understand psychology of character through movement. And I realized with this being a quiet, silent character and those guys choreographing it, this could really be interesting. And I would be able to fund Steve's film, which is exactly what ended up happening. I shot the film. And, and so it's like people say just, you know, I, I was saying that earlier, Crispin just acted in that film. I investigated. I, I wouldn't just do a film if I felt like it would be embarrassing is maybe the right word. Sure. Like, I know that I've been in films that are not considered good films, but I'm still, and I might've even been aware of it when I was reading the screenplay, but I thought, is there a way that I can somehow make this entertaining or enjoyable or thoughtful or anything? Um, because that decade starting in 2000 after Charlie's Angels came out and I was able to fund Steve's film that film made a lot of money which was good for my acting career which is how it works if you're in big movies you get more offers Hmm. and uh, you know I think people. This was my kind of misconception: is that if you're right for the part, you'll get an offer. There's some truth in that, but if you're in the number one movie and you're right for the part, <laughs> okay, then,
0: well, then, I think just you know, I think Justin certainly, certainly, what I intended by it is that. And you're I, not the only person who knows no, it. No, I mean it happens. But maybe a lot. I can. Maybe I can. Here's what I assume people are thinking. Because I'll tell you what I'm thinking, and then maybe it. Yeah. Which is, you are essentially the creator of all this other yeah, art, right? As opposed to. Being hired to say someone else. so I think when they say when they say just, they don't mean like, well, there's no work that comes with that. I think they I think they mean, you know, you you are the architect of all this other stuff, the right. writing and the and the live shows and the and the films and the so the it's- reason the reason I get concerned
1: about it though is because I do work in the corporate industry. I'm glad to be working in the corporate industry. I get concerned that people in the corporate industry think I'm this near do well who like has this. Anger towards it. I have questions about it. It's true. But I know there's all kinds of great people in the film industry that want to be doing interesting questioning things. There's a systematization that if you want to get your film made, you have to essentially conform to. And that is how propaganda actually works in the US. People have to think upwards. They think, will I get fired if I do this? Will... Uh, I get my funding for my film if I do this. Will my film get distribution if I do this? Which is, instead of having a committee that's saying you must do it, it just it's expensive to make a film. It's expensive to distribute a film. I mean, and I... I know because I've made my own films that I've self-funded and I've self-distributed them. It's not easy. its just, I mean, I'd much rather be hired by a corporation and uh, have them distribute my films. But I also know my temperament. The first Somebody would say, well, we really shouldn't say that. And i just say, this makes sense. And, I'd get, and they'd say, that's stupid. And they'd fire me and have somebody else direct the films. <laughs>
0: well, I have a, I have a, I have a friend who's a, who's a director and he started working with this company and he said that they... Uh, They started sort of nosing around. They almost point blank said... Do you have a lot of debt? Like they were trying to find out if they were if they could control exactly. him. With, oh, that's with, exactly. That's you exactly know, right. Like, and he was like, "No, I have plenty of money. If you don't want to work with me, I don't give a shit." It's and they exactly, and then they left him alone.
1: Exactly. Because wow. exactly. they because they realized they couldn't see. That's exactly how pro- it's a perfect example, and it's not. It's that's not an exception. That's the rule. It, I've talked to so many people uh, who are filmmakers that were. I was in the lucky position in the fact that I do have worked in the Corporate industry, and that corporate publicity has made it so that I can go, even if, like I said, I had this kind of like piece written about me where they. You know, which I started out talking about, where they were kind of slamming me because i i'd, I'd uh, used my my one thousand seven hundred <laughs> word pay document to answer some of <laughs> the questions but but ultimately, I also realized that doesn 't matter. what matters is that the uh is that the word gets uh, uh, out most uh filmmakers that maybe they 've put their house on the line, and they're about to get their house taken away, and they do not have the opportunity to go to some community and and ha- get that kind of uh, publicity. And then those people end up... Th- they tell me about it. The corporation will say to them, uh, well, you know, we really want to put your movie out. And they, they figure out that the person's maybe put, what, two hundred and fifty four hundred thousand $400,000 in the movie. And they're going to lose their house, so we'll offer you, I mean, they don't say that out loud, but they say, we'll offer you 350. And the guy goes, okay, well, I'm going to lose or they'll offer two fifty. and the guy knows he's going to lose 150000 but that's better than losing four hundred in his house so he sells the film at a loss and then these, these, these corporations sell the the film they, may, they do make their money back at the two fifty, and then with creative accounting they never pay that filmmaker. I mean I've talked to so many filmmakers that's what happened. That's why I tour with it. I mean I, there's a lot of reasons I tour with the film. There's that there's also that my films have questions and people genuinely get something out of it, as uh, as do
0: I. Well, would you ever want to form like an like a giant anti corporation where you could just give people money to pursue artistic? <laughs> if endeavors? somebody gives
1: me hundreds of millions, <laughs> yes. Uh, I mean, but see, I'm not anti corporate. I'm anti. Uh, I'm there. The, I, I'm sincere in what I'm talking about. We we need to regulate corporations at this point. It needs to be. Uh, assured that corporations are in balance with the amount of money that they're getting from the, the people that are paying for that stuff, and corporations have to do positive things for people. That needs to be controlled. Once that happens, then 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 corporations. You know, there's I I I I've tore it up in um, Norway. And Norway is a very socialist co- country, which can, you know, be a bad word to a lot of people. But it's people that haven't been there. If you go to Norway, you're going to look and see people are happy. They have money. I mean, it's a rich country. To be fair, they I think they made a lot of money off of oil in the uh, just off of their waters that was discovered later in their uh, existence. I don't know when, but I, I've toured there, and they've got. I'm basing this on that they have Cinematex there, and the Cinematex um, hire. Cinephiles, and then the cinephiles get money from the government, and they program what they want. The government leaves them alone. Wow. It's amazing. That's, how, it sh- that's yeah. how corporations should run. It should be find people that love what they're doing, that genuinely want to do something beneficial— and let it happen. So there's nothing wrong with the idea of a corporation, but when it ends up being for specific profit to some single person, essentially, that's going to have all the ability in the world to, uh, or as much money as they have to continue to uh, enrich themselves, which is what the purpose of a corporation is to be. Of course, that's what it's going to do. There's got to be, there have to be regulations. It's just, if we don't, it's going to get way worse to, to truly nightmarish performance. It's all uh, uh, nightmarish uh, uh, elements, but it's already bad enough. It, it will get worse. It really is imperative. I
0: really feel like you needed the internet in the 80s. I feel like so yeah. many things happened yeah. in your life and your career that you've talked about a million times that you that totally could have just been dealt yeah, with with the internet you're between right. Back a tweet a future and the letterman thing a tweet. and everything or it's just like <laughs> yeah one tweet one tweet yeah. or just at least allowing people to come together because I get the sense that you really kind of enjoy the mystery of some, some yeah, of the things. Yeah, I leave
1: certain things alone. Like like you mentioned the Letterman things. I purposefully leave. I uh, when people ask me about that in media, it's different at my shows. But in in media, I always say I neither confirm nor do- deny <laughs> that I was on the Letterman show. Which of course, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's it's funny, of course. But 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 you know, it's like uh, uh, I. I bet you're right, if I had the an internet in the eighties yeah, it would have been a tremendous it just
0: it feels to me whether intentional or not, and I feel like maybe intentional, that there were a lot of things that you were doing that were sort of fucking around with norms and our and pop culture and society and and maybe at times in the 80s, we didn't understand irony yet. And so maybe people didn't quite get well, what was going on. Well, there was on.
1: also a very specific control, which is is hallucinating. I mean, there were certain networks and then there were certain uh, newspapers or magazines which are corporately controlled. I, so I rec- recollect, you know, the kinds of interviews I would get in the late 80s, early 90s. Well, early 90s was when I first started touring with the show. And I, I would do interviews with people. Sometimes you can hear it. I'll kind of stutter or pause. At that time, I very much had, like, people would, like, write in the pauses. And it, it was always written as though I was this insane person. And it, and, Jesus. And, 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 and so it's actually part of, part, part of why I do like to write the uh, elongated answers out when I can, because the facts are there. What I want out is out. And so... There is an element of control with it. I, I don't mind giving interviews. I mean, of course, this is like a great interview. You guys are on the thought process, which is enjoyable for me. Um, but then there are, sometimes you'll get an aggressive interview, and not even that that's bad, but the thing is, if it's live, it's okay. I actually prefer that, but they what they often are is then they hide behind it, and, and they write things, and they take, they genuinely do th- take things out of context to write well, sure, something. because
0: sometimes they ca- I feel like... You know, we have conversations on this show, and I don't. Yeah. I don't come in with any preconceived notions. It's right. like, well, I just want to get to know you the way right. you would get to know a human being. Yeah. But a lot of times, you know, I feel like, and I don't consider myself a journalist, but I think a journalist might yeah. come in and go, uh, and they kind of have an agenda, right? And they have a way, like, uh, I think this is how I'm going to paint this guy. So I'm yeah. sure a lot of them come in yeah. and like. Crispin Glover, you're kind of crazy, right? And you're yeah. like, no, what? Are you yeah, I know. To know the I,
1: I the most I I've had it happen. Actually, I just had it happen. Kind of on the Huffington Post, a, very, a strange thing happened. It's a That's a live interview, but they, anyhow, that's a weird thing. But in Time Magazine of all things, in Time Magazine, the first question that was asked of me by the interviewer was. So what's this? I hear you about you being difficult to work with. And said,
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is oh, a very aggressive leading. Question. I,
1: yeah, and I said, I'd, and then he he wanted to paint that. I had a great experience working on Willard, and you can even see an outtake in the. Uh,
0: I loved Willard. Yeah, yeah it was, it was
1: a, I, Glenn Morgan was a, gr- a great guy. He wrote the the film. I had a great working experience with him. And there's an outtake on the DVD, you can even see it, where I'm, it's not something that's on, I mean, it's on camera, but I'm like, you can, you you know, you can break character, I generally don't when I'm working, but there was something where a rat was like walking somewhere, or he's confused about something, I said, and I quietly, about in this demeanor, I said, is the rat going this way or that way, something like that. You can see it. You can watch it on the DVD. Did the rat write a blog post about? <laughs> no, the guy on Time Magazine. You can read it. Look it up, and he said Crispin stormed off the set and and said, "I didn't know there were going to be rats in this movie." It's like, <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, like, like genuinely
0: insane, like psychotic. Well, the, the, the annoying thing about even asking a question like what's this I hear about is that it's an impossible you can't answer because you go I don't know what you've heard how could I possibly know how could I possibly know what this thing is it's a tactic I mean
1: mean, sometimes that tactic can be used to get somebody kind of riled Riled up and and they'll say something interesting it's true but sometimes it's just there to try to make somebody look bad
0: or you could just ask the person a question a very sincere question hey what was your experience and and then maybe that would come out yeah yeah yeah. So I mean, how did you how did you get involved with uh Bagman? Was it was this I mean do you audition no, at this point? No, well, I
1: mean I will. I'm very happy to audition. Uh, uh but I generally don't get asked to audition, but sometimes and I I have I'm I'm I actually kind of miss auditioning. I was I got a lot in a certain way I got most of my work back when I was like 18, 19, 20 when I was auditioning a lot I had lots of auditions and my batting average was very good I'm a good auditioner or I can be. I mean, everybody has bad auditions, but uh, most of my auditions really did generally go well. Uh, but no, The Bagman was just simply uh, offered to me. I was in the Czech Republic uh, working on overseeing the sets for the film that I just... You started. you have a home there, right? You live in the Czech Republic? I have... Uh, an old, I, in 2003, uh, which was still my best year financially to date, I did the second Charlie's Angels film, Willard, and... I always forget the name of it. It was a kid's film with... Uh, Open season. No, no. Um...
0: to the internet
1: <laughs> if only there was some database in any case it's a basketball thing and I always forget the, the name of it and I played the bad guy in it, so it was my best my best year there were three studio films in a row right after I'd spent all this money on everything was fine I was <laughs> like for my worst financial situation <laughs> like Mike like Mike ah, yes. and so and that was the first that was the one that actually saved me from my, my I was it was very close it was kind of the worst I'd ever uh, had uh, anyhow so I which isn't that bad I mean it's you know but, but it's like No, I was going to miss a payment on my house, essentially, like, the next month if I didn't get a job. So I got that, and then I... um and then those other two films, I took all of that money and I put it into an old chateau that was built in the 1600s, oh, wow. uh, it, about 45 minutes east of Prague by train. And next to it is a horse staples. I bought it specifically for this reason. It's taken all of this time uh, to get it to the point where I, was, I had 17 volunteers that worked on the film we shot. And then uh, for 10 days, 10 pages, and uh, now I have 10 minutes. Actually, there's 20 minutes altogether edited, but I have 10 minutes that I'm showing right now. So I still... It's, gonna, it's a 48-page screenplay, which sounds short, but I, my, my pages tend towards shooting long for whatever reason. They're standardly formatted, but uh, in any, if anything, I have to cut down. But it's a 48-page... So I have 38 more pages to, to, to shoot. Anyhow, I was there, and... Um, we weren't shooting it. I was overseeing the sets, and I got the offer for Bagman. I read the script. The dialogue was really well written for the character. I liked it, and uh, I uh, I was on the set within two weeks. Two weeks. I had actually wanted, and I'm doing it today, I, 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 I just got a film, and I'm growing facial hair uh, out, and the same thing. I wanted to grow facial hair out for that. I actually don't know if I'll use it for this film, but I'm still figuring things out, and I might, and that would be in April. I, so I have longer for this I have a month essentially, but that I only had two weeks. I asked if we could we could uh, have a little bit longer, but there was a specific and tight schedule. So I was on the set within two weeks, wow. uh, shooting, and I, I had a great experience. I uh, it, interestingly, the director self-funded the film, and I think there are good things that can happen out
0: of that. I I, I enjoyed it a lot. So when you uh, when you're given a script, you're looking at a, at a character, or even even when you're looking at um you know, something that you're creating yourself, like what is your, what's ultimately your approach? What questions are you asking? Earlier you said, Every, like, what does that character want or what is the yeah,
1: essential? Yeah, I mean, that's the basic uh, f- that I was, was taught in acting and still uh, go for. But, I mean, you look at different scripts for different reasons and or figure out things for different reasons. This one, it was it was simple. I, I liked the way the, the dialogue was written. And uh, so it wasn't, and the dialogue was you could i mean the one thing maybe you could cr- criticize about it is that there are certain things that are very clear as to what the character 's background and i 'm not really meaning it as a criticism, but i didn 't have to uh, research a lot of stuff. It was on the page you, it was in there, and then uh, I just immediately figured out what the character would look like and sound like and, and played it i 'm happy with how it came out as well, so this was a relatively simple one sometimes. You know, it's like, I'll look at something and it's like, I want, I mean, generally, I want to work. I'm I'm funding my films. And it's, I also know, you know, I'm over 30 years into it as, as a career on some level. Sometimes there's exceptions, but... On some level, it's just good to continue working, even if there's if it's not like the this an award winning movie or whatever. It's like sometimes just you work to get more more work and then you've got to like figure out, okay, how do I not not embarrass myself? (laughs) <laughs> that some, some really, and you, so it's like I'll look and figure out. Okay, well, you can see often like this dialogue is very well written in the Bagman, but in uh, sometimes I'll look at dialogue, it, and what I mean by that is it can have a depth. You can have more than one thought about it. A question. I like questions in general because I think good art, good thought comes from that. An audience, they have an interactive element when they're asking questions. They become involved, and it becomes enjoyable for them uh, so if there's any kind of nuance within dialogue it's good but often and the bagman had that often though I'll get a, a script I'll know I should work, there'll be maybe something intriguing about the character or the cast or or I just need to work, whatever and I'll look at the the page and I'll look at the dialogue and I'll see how it was supposed to be said or it feels like that's how it was supposed to be said by the writer It it feels like you can see it on the page, and it doesn 't feel like right, like you can see it acted badly and then and then you think, "Okay, well, how can I say that so it isn 't bad <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and truly it 's a kind of a reductive way of of coming to a character and then you start playing with it, and then sometimes you hit on something, and go, "Oh yeah, if I played the character that way." then all of those problems will alleviate. I, I will come up with characters often from that very being, which actually can be an interesting dynamic. Like, I'm in What Is It? I'm in uh, the next film, the one I'm shooting with my father, and my style of acting is actually a bit different than when I'm acting in other people's films because I wrote the scripts so in a certain way i'm not reacting in that way that i i am when i'm kind of trying to fix something now like like interesting like like river's edge for example is a film i'm very proud of but the character that i played in that that was i actually there was a problem to me in what i saw as the way i didn't change any dialogue in it at all I added one line, okay, which was, okay, listen up. That was the, and a couple of <laughs> man I threw in. But, but, but that was it. Everything else, it was, it was well-written dialogue. But the intention of the character originally was <clears throat> essentially, as, as written on the page, uh, to help his friend. What I played instead was a person that wanted to get attention for being a good person for helping <laughs> oh, his that's friend. A that's a to- awesome. That's a totally different yeah. way to play it. And uh, now, Neil Jimenez, who's a great guy, wrote the screenplay, and, and he openly talked about this in a very nice way at some screening later on he said and I knew this when we were shooting it he thought I was ruining the movie and there are people that have watched the film that's you know I've seen the comments people think <laughs> I, some people hate the performance uh, it, but very nicely, he came back and said, now I think it makes the film, or something to, to that effect, which was a very nice thing for him to say. But but what it, I do... Th- I mean, the, the film was good on multiple levels. There were, all the people, I think, were well cast, Dennis Hopper, all the, of the other actors, and, and Tim Hunter did a really good, sensitive uh, job with that. But it, ultimately, it was a well-written screenplay. But throwing that dynamic in did put a certain... Uh, depth or a certain curvature which it did it did help the film i mean it's it is an annoying character sometimes people don't like i think there's sometimes people want to go see a film because they don't want to be annoyed or something so if if you do something annoying sometimes people just criticize you for that very reason (laughs) but uh or they might just think it's bad acting or whatever all of that's fair but uh you know on some level i'm playing a character that's playing something so there's uh, it can look like acting in a way be, but sometimes that's okay because sometimes people do that yeah. so anyhow
0: uh, about, and certainly with oh go ahead John. oh sorry uh, but like what, your character in ruben and ed like uh, how like, like that was kind of like a real like like kind of um, kooky character how much did you bring to that how much was on the page well, for
1: that one, uh, I had worked with that director before in a different film called The Orkley Kid, which I liked very much. And he wrote that uh, character uh, with that look that I have in mind. Yeah. But we we didn't discuss uh, the dialogue a lot beforehand. And there were certain things that... There were times when I, I actually played it much angrier or cr- crazier in a way, and he didn't want me to do it that way, which I could kind of sense. He wanted it to be a little more... um, I can't think of the right word. Maybe average american i can't i can't think of the, the the quite 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 the right word but uh so that you know that that director and i had had a good experience working on a different the orkley kid is a very good film so i was yeah. i was going along with things that that he wanted for that uh and and we had a a good working uh, experience on the film but it that was not something that I mean, there were elements that I definitely thought about in advance for that character. But uh, I was friends, uh, friendly with the director uh, for quite a while as well, so we had a, a dialogue uh, going. So,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. How much, um, at a certain point, and then as we're sort of yeah. winding down, we've taken up more than an hour of your time, so yeah, I, I right. appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, this has been amazing. But, oh, good. Um, I'm enjoying it. What... Um, when you're in a position where people are sort of painting you in this box sometimes of like oh that guy's weird and not even really kind of giving you a chance to not be weird yeah. does that make you want to go well fine fuck you i'll show you no. you know or no you- because
1: because i i am i mean i'm i started acting at age 13 Professionally, and I started thinking about it. I stepped into it on a business level in a way. Like my father's an actor; he was in um, Bruce Glover was in uh, Diamonds Are Forever, Forever, Mm -hmm. Chinatown, Walking Tall. Walking Tall. uh, There were three of them, in fact, Uh, not the new remake, but the ones from the seventies. He uh, originally this the was it the second one. The second one was going to be with the actual guy. His name was Buford Passer, and my father tested with him and. I think was helpful with the guy, and they got along, and then the guy got killed. Somebody, you know, because of what he was doing, right. people were angry. Anyhow, um, yeah, and then and more recently in Ghost World, now he'll be in this film, but, uh, you know, my father was never, like, super famous or, or super wealthy. I grew up a middle-class uh, existence, uh, which was fine. I have no complaints. I'm glad we weren't poor. And I'm also actually glad we weren't rich because it gave me a very clear outline that I needed to do something. So it was like I knew I was, my parents weren't going to support me after 18 and I had to figure something out. Uh, so I saw basically how the business worked and I thought, well, this is something I could do and make work for me. So even though I was quite young, and I, was, I really wasn't pushed into it, I've seen kids that are pushed into the business at a very, you know, much younger age than 13, and it really messes them up. And that my parents didn't do that at all. They were actually kind of surprised when I said that I was interested. My father took it as a compliment. Uh, so, But then they were supportive, and uh, 13 is actually... Strangely old if you're a kid <laughs> actor. Like, I saw these kid actors that were working that had established names, and I was thinking, well, when am I going to work? But it was a very good age for starting out as a young actor. And then when the child labor laws started working in my favor at age 18, then I started working a lot in, in film. But so there's been a real, you know, a realistic point of view of how things work. When I was 13, I wasn't actually that artistically integrated uh, with film as art. I'd grown up, I'd seen movies, but more television. I was relatively sophisticated about art, like I'd always admired Hieronymus Bosch or Salvador Dali, and I wrote. So I I had an artistic sensibility, but I was not necessarily equating uh, that. I thought, well, maybe it'll be neat to be in a commercial or on TV or in a movie or something. I wasn't that concerned. Uh, it wasn't until I was 16 that I started driving around to see the Revival House movies that I realized how both acting as a craft slash art can uh, be a great thing. And, of course, I essentially became a cinephile, a lover of, of movies at that time. And... Uh,
0: you, I forgot what you were asking. I was asking you about like being painted into this box. Oh,
1: right, right. So so it's like I, on some level, I'm I'm a business person about it as well. I understand that there's a persona which has something to do with me. My name is – I was given the name, born with the name Crispin Hellion Glover. Sometimes I think people think that it's a made-up name. It was made up by my parents. <laughs> my father's middle name is Herbert. And uh, as a struggling actor in New York, young actor in New York, he he didn't like that middle name. And so he, he said to himself, I'm Bruce H. Glover. I'm Bruce Hellion Glover, Hellion, a troublemaker. And that made him feel good as a struggling actor. So he uh, told my mother that was his real middle name. And then when they were married, she saw... That that wasn't his middle name, and thought, "Who am I marrying?" But they gave it to me as my <laughs> my real Robert, name, Herbert
0: Hellion, They're pretty yeah, pretty close. I mean, come on, H E or So You get the first two letters.
1: Uh, but but so uh, yeah, so I, uh, I I I the concept of a persona is something I I understood at a relatively young age. I didn't. I don't. I mean, I understand where you can, you could get upset about, there's a persona that people are perceiving of you as, and maybe that isn't really you, but I don't think of my persona as me. I'm very clear that there's an external, my my book, Crispin Hellion Glover, I always drew and wrote, and I always used when I wrote and drew my whole name, Crispin Hellion Glover. I was 14 when I was in the screen, got into the Screen Actors Guild, and I thought Hellion was too long, too long of a name, Crispin Hellion Glover, so I chose Crispin Glover, and even then, I was kind of thinking, well, acting is kind of collaborative, I'll use Crispin Hellion Glover as, like, if I draw something, and Crispin Glover is a collaborative effort that I'm a part of, so I was aware of a separation, I mean, it's my name, I've been called it my whole life, but, I understand that that entity, which I have something to do with is an external entity, but other people have things to do with it too. So it's like obviously other people are going to say other things and they're commenting on that element that has something to do with me, but it isn't me. If it was really about me, if I somehow genuinely totally identified as I'm Chris that external sure. element, I guess I'd be upset. I mean I can get irritated. I was just like I said on the phone this morning with the journalist. To her benefit, she did let me talk talk to her again. <laughs> and I but you know I can get irritated if people Say. I was particularly irritated with that because what was written was that it was that I had uh, snubbed them, which, I, I, as you can tell, I, I want to get of my course. word out. I don't have anything against press. Sometimes people, you know, actors get, like, shy or uh, they don't like it, which I think what that is is that has to do with that they're used to a pro- uh, um, the corporate shell. You know, they're paid by a corporation. And then they're they're living in that element. It's it's I mean I've been in that element. I know what it's like. It's very nice. You know, you there are people that do things for you and and you get driven around and you get paid a lot of money and it's it's great. But then uh but but that's very insular. And uh, it's up to that corporation to make the money back for the film. You're paid. But and that's kind of similar for a director that's working under a corporate we uh, uh, funded and distributed film. I funded my own films. I've got to make the money back. I don't have that corporate shell so I go and I am grateful to all of the audience members. I thank them. <laughs> I tell them. I talk to them afterwards, etc. Uh, and similarly, I'm grateful to the the people. Like you guys, I'm really happy that we're talking about this stuff. This gets word out. and it's I, So... Uh, I I also understand that there's going to be people that will say negative things when I when I when I uh I did press shows of uh for the New York Times I did a whole week run uh, for Everything is Fine at the IFC, which is where I generally play in the New York, and they've been really nice to me. But it w- I was originally just going to do a weekend, and then it became apparent I wouldn't get reviewed in the New York Times if I didn't play the whole week. And it was right during Thanksgiving, so I had to play the show on Thanksgiving. Oh, I gee, knew nobody... Oh, I mean, Actually, people did show but it wasn't like a very uh, big show, which is okay. I've, I've played small shows. Usually it's a, a fairly good uh, turnout. But um, I knew... And I even knew that it was plausible that the New York Times, even perhaps likely, I especially felt that when they re- reviewed What Is It, I was. I thought it was likely I would get a negative review for What Is It. Um, surprisingly, I used both the reviews that New York Times gave me in for What Is It or quotes from What Is It and quotes from the review for Everything Is Fine, which are some of my favorite quotes I've had. I mean, I guess you could say there were certain things that... They were fair reviews, but for me it was great. I expected just a totally negative review, but I knew as a business person it's better for the New York Times to give me a negative review than nothing, nothing. at all. But surprisingly, I got good things that I use on my website now. <laughs> yeah.
0: So just in, in in closing, is there anything that you <laughs> – a parting thought or something you want people to understand about you or something. I mean, you, you people can, go to right as well. Yeah. Uh, and they can explore, uh, they can read your books and they can, and you have music. I know that by, by you worked with Barnes and Barnes. Yeah, and Barnes I fucking love Barnes and Barnes. Yeah. They're
1: great. They're great um, guys. I even have a second album with, uh, there's art and Artie Barnes and Artie Barnes. And I recorded a second album, which I need to get out. I, there's little things that need to be changed. That's kind of a whole long and involved story as well. But uh, no, I you know yeah, CrispinGlover.com. If people sign up for the newsletter on that, lets them know when and where I'll be with the films. And then there's also a Crispin Glover Twitter and a Crispin Glover an official Crispin Hullion Glover Facebook page. But the the most consistent thing is 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 signing up for the newsletter. And of course, I'm in this film that
0: comes out. The Bagman. It I, came out last week. I think, I think it came, out, came out, 28th, out last
1: right. Yeah, February twenty. I think it came it's out.
0: wider this this week. Wider this week. Yeah, expanding this week, yeah. so
1: so people can find out about that. That's you know, it's a perfect example though because uh, I am here because I'm in the Bagman. I mean, I've had all of this stuff to talk about uh, a long time ago, but but Bagman. I mean, it's an inter- Bagman's an interesting. You know, I can't call it. Cor- it's not corporately funded. Mm-hmm. It was funded by. Uh, the, the director. I don't know if he... I, don't, I haven't seen publicity about that. I don't know if he wants to hit it, but I think it's a good thing because I, I relate to it. I, I I think there are interesting things in the film and, uh, I th- and nuances. Sometimes that can be... Sometimes people, even corporately, can react negatively to that. Although, interestingly, with my own film, with What Is It, I strangely, I found that when I first started getting corporate reviews, that's why I was kind of expecting to get Negative reviews from the New York Times. I actually found... When I first showed it, I showed it... I premiered it at, at Sundance. And most of what I got... Re- I didn't get reviewed by formal reviewers. I got reviewed by, um, like, gossip columnists. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Yeah.
1: And they were... They, they, so they were, like... They were there to get, like... Um, a story. So they were, they were writing things like droves of people walking out and like what they'll try to, which isn't true. They're, I've never had droves of people walk out on that film ever. I've had people walk out, but never droves of people. <laughs> out of like, and probably even le- less now, but, but like in the original years of when I played it, maybe out of, let's say, 100 people or 200 people, let's say 100 people in an audience, maybe five people would walk out. Uh, or two, out of 200, maybe eight people. You know, uh, generally, people, sometimes people walk out, but really very rarely. And and the, the screening of Sundance, that would have been about the case. I think maybe it was like a 250-person audience. It was sold out at the Egyptian... Which I think is like a 200, maybe 300 seat venue, maybe eight people left. So anyhow, but and then they and then what they'll do is focus on. There are things that are taboo. That's not how I sell the film. I don't go into details of what the taboos are. But what people will generally do is they'll like make a list. They'll say this happened, this happened, this happened. Explain yourself, <laughs> <laughs> or something like that, or or this, or they'll write this. Or I'm not even in an interview, and, th- and then they'll write this is why it's a bad film, but strangely of course it's sensationalistic and then people go oh well that's kind of interesting and then they'll come to the movie <laughs> even though they but but I that was initially what I was getting was just kind of more sensationalism kind of uh it, they weren't formal reviewers then what I was surprised about was that a lot of the corporate reviewers who actually you know a lot of them are older and they had had come from the era of looking for things that were interesting or thoughtful. I was getting surprisingly. I I I think it's on Rotten Tomatoes. Of what is it? And I think it has like fifty-seven percent, which is more people giving it a good review. I know it's called Splat on that. Although everything <laughs> is fine. I'm. I was. I I really expected it to be a much more aggressive negative reviewership. Uh, whereas uh, everything is fine is fresh. That's like. 80, I don't know, it's, it's something good, 70, 80 something percent. I think 78
0: and above is fresh. So.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, and everything is fine, is fresh. I mean, and to be I understand why that is, it was kind of what I was talking about, uh, there's an emotional catharsis that happens in the film and people uh, can get behind it, and r- rightfully so, I'm, I'm very proud of that film, but I'm proud of what is it in a lot of different ways as well.
0: Well, there's, a, there's you know, I, I think I mean, obviously there's a variety of different ways that people can watch a film, but a lot of times it's you know, people are watching almost as a voyeur where they're going, oh, there's a story and there's something that's happening and I'm kind of getting on board that story and following along. And there, there are other films... And the first film for me that I ever saw, like that did this to me when I was young, was like *The Wall*. I think *The Wall* maybe yeah. where it was like, ugh. like it just felt like I couldn't explain why, but it was just like reaching into my chest and <laughs> fucking around with my soul. And I didn't—I was like, this is making me feel things, and I don't understand, you know? Like, so
1: wh- how old were you when *The Wall* came out?
0: Well, I was young. I mean, I was young. Yeah, I was—I right. was alive. I mean, right? I, I didn't—I didn't see it until you know. I saw *The Wall* probably around the same time I saw *Harold and Maude*, which was like on VHS in the mid '80s. Right you right. know when so, i was like 12 or 13
1: how, how old are you i don't know i'm 42 okay so yeah you're about 8 years younger than
0: me yeah so when i so when i saw it i was like just barely a teenager mm-hmm. and just right. barely any younger than that i don't think i would have been able to process it really and but i was just sort of like oh uh,
1: yeah. uh, the, you know. the, the, the teenage years are really important starting around 13 i think mm-hmm. you get a really i, I i've always thought that <clears throat> 13 is like the year that you can really start to formulate opinions about what is not cool sure <laughs> like so i was thir- in one thousand nine hundred and seventy seven I was thirteen and I like really disliked disco because that was the year of disco <laughs> and so're you're, when you 're thirteen like that's the age where you're starting to like, you know, like girls or what. And so you start noticing like adult sexuality mm-hmm. and or at least that's how it was for me. Like I was starting to have perception of what people thought was cool. And I could see that disco is like there are these people that were kind of out of shape and wearing these polyester <laughs> Uh, shirts and doing these formulated dance moves that they didn't weren't that good at, and it just looked really embarrassing to me. So I had this <laughs> this kind of disdain uh, uh, for it. And I, so I feel like anybody that's thirteen, like whatever is considered cool right now, they're probably looking at it going, no, no, yeah. that's Well, I think really that's because not.
0: as hormones start flooding your body, I think that's where you start becoming aware. That's where you start becoming aware because you start going, oh, I'm – I will start wanting to attract something. I have a friend that has a a theory that like if you ask someone their favorite movie, most times it will be a movie they saw when they were 12 or 13. Oh, sure. I mean
1: for me it was 16, but but I can see where that happens. In that time.
0: Well, also especially because when something really connects with you, you've never had – quite that experience exactly. before. Yeah. And so this is why a lot of films, you go back and watch and you go, I liked that. You know, but like when you were younger, you go, oh my, you know. Like yeah. but, really
1: like, but at the same time, like, I had a, I, I saw 2001 A Space Odyssey when I was uh, a four- I think, and a half years old. Oh, Jesus. Because because my parents and I, when we first moved to L.A., we, I was born in New York, and we moved to L.A. in 67 because my father was getting more work here than New York. So I was three and a half. So I don't remember the exact year, but in the first years that we were here, we would go to the drive-in movie theater. And so I remember which movies we saw at the drive-in. And one of them was, uh, we'd get a... I'd hide in the back because it was cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, under the blanket, and so and so and then we'd get a, a Kentucky f- bucket of Kentucky Kentucky, f- Kentucky fried chicken, which I, w- I wouldn't wouldn't want to eat these days. <laughs> but then it was great, and and so uh, yeah, I mean I remember a number of the movies we saw at that time. One of them was two thousand one, A Space Odyssey, and I liked it. You know, I was for three and a half or four, whatever it was, and uh, it was or maybe I was five, some somewhere in that area, whatever year it came out, or maybe the year after because it was a drive-in run. But uh, <clears throat> I, that definitely was a movie that stuck with me. And then it was later, I think I saw Dr. live on television, and I think I connect, started realizing, oh, this yeah. is the same guy mm-hmm. who did that. And then I probably, I probably The Shining I saw in the, the movie theater, and by then I was quite a, a aware. And then I saw a re-release of uh, Clock Recordings when I was 18. I think those are the orders of seeing... It. And oh, wow. FB is one of my... Of, as so many, rightfully so, one of the great, my, my you know, idols of uh, f- filmmaking. But, uh, but, so that's a movie. I did also see Freaks at a very young age. Oh, wow, My father yeah. uh, took my mother and I to see it at the New Art. <laughs> I was... <clears throat> I don't remember the year, but I did have one of those cassette recorders... That were relatively new. It had like a button in the middle that you. Oh yeah,
0: the knob and. You yeah, the
1: knob in the it, middle. Yeah. And I I made a recording the next day playing the German, uh, s- s- small fellow who's the protagonist of the like film. Gweeble, wobble, what's that? Like little weeble wobble, weeble wobble. No, well, I mean, no, no. His character Weeble Wobble is. Uh, I don't know who says that, but no, he's the guy that that the the you know is the woman marries yes, for his yes, money exactly. uh, but uh, does he say Weeble off? Well meat? they all do at the end I thought that that's was a thing it, that it, he the thing at the marriage they're saying Google yeah, uh, Gobble, 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 one, gobble one, one of us one of us, yeah. one
0: of us yeah which is that seems great well that's yeah. a perf- I think that's a perfect way to wrap this up by saying Crispin Glover Whoa. One of us. One of us. <laughs> Thank One you. of us. Thank you. It's a
1: compliment.
0: It's really been a pleasure. Yeah, been you too. so great talking to you. And, yeah. Uh, and ChrisMcGlover.com. People should see you live if they can. Uh, see the Bagman. Read your books. Absolutely. Uh, and thanks for being here. Well, thanks for
1: having me. Great, sure. great time. I Enjoy your
0: burrito, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito.